visit, and we focused in specifically on uh, the wife's call to submit to her, her husband. And we looked at how the Lord gives her the strength to do that today. We're going to narrow in on verses 25 through 30 of Ephesians chapter 5. And the word of the Lord reads, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to come to your word. And Father, we pray for you. We need you desperately. Without you, we can do nothing. Thank you for taking these hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh. And even now, Father, we pray, not by might, nor by power but by your spirit, speak. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now today we're going to look at the, the husband's role in marriage. The husband's role in marriage. Earlier this week, I was driving home and I saw something that I had never seen before. I saw a man driving a pickup truck. And on the back window of his pickup truck, there was a sign or a, a bumper sticker. And it read, I love my, let's pause. Stereotypically, what would you think a man driving a manly pickup truck would have a bumper sticker that says, I love my, what, 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 how would you fill that space? I love my truck. I love my country. I love my freedom. I love my guns. I love my football. I love my college bracket. I love my music. I love my hunting. Well, to my surprise, it's shockingly read, I love my wife. And after reading that bumper sticker, I became extremely curious to what would make this man proclaim his love for his wife in this way. In fact, I drove rather closely to him, trying to get as close as I possibly could just to see if there was some small print. And maybe it had a dot com or something. Or maybe it said psych. But to no avail. <laughs> it didn't have small print. In the text that we read today after Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shares with the wives that God has empowered, what God has empowered and expects them to do, 
out of reverence for Christ and for the peace of their family, he, he turns his attention to the men of the household and he shows them what biblical headship looks like for a Christian husband. And in essence, Paul reveals to us that a, a Christian husband is called to be the, the loving leader of his household. A Christian husband is called to be the loving leader of his household. God has called us husbands and men not to just profess the love that we have for our wives, but to show it in, in concrete ways and to lead our household to glorify God with our lives and our daily examples. And we should be encouraged this, mo this morning because we know that anything that God has revealed to us to do, he has also given us the strength to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in, to the church at Philippi, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Let us draw our attention to verse number 25 as the word of God reads, Husbands, love your wives. This word love in the Greek is the word agapeo. It means to show or prove one love by placing that person first in one's affections. Love, agapeo, your wife. Place your wife first in your affections. God has called Christian husbands to have their wives as the single most important person in their lives other than God. Paul then goes on to show us how this type of love looks by, by pointing us to, to Christ's love for his church, for his bride. Verse 25 continues, it says, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For her. Paul, after defining or, or telling the, the Christian husband what their role in marriage is which is to love their wife shows them how that looks and he shows them that that love is sacrificial he said just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her a love that we have been called to as Christian husbands is, is, is a, a sacrificial love just as Christ loved the church sacrificially his love for the church caused him to, to give his body. It caused him to, to give his life. Each of our needs was met through Christ's sacrificial living, through his sacrificial giving, through his sacrificial death. He met our needs by serving us even when it was personally inconvenient for him. Our Lord sacrificially modeled for us self-denial. And servanthood by, by placing our needs and, and our desires, our, our, our greatest needs, by placing that above his own, above his own importance. And Paul shows us that Christian husbands are called to live in the same way towards their wives. In essence, that means that we are called to deny ourselves in order to meet the needs of our wives. Husbands, agapeo, your wives. We are called to place her interest and care above our own importance. That's what being the head of a household means. And that's what we need to proclaim from the mountaintops to the Christian family. We need to preach and we need to expound upon what 
submission is and what it is not. And we also need to expound upon what headship is, what God expects from us as Christian husbands. Being the head of a house means being the servant leader of the house. Jesus is the head of the church because his leadership and the example that he set was, was, not, was not harsh, but rather it was selfless. And it was motivated by pleasing the Father. Jesus, as head of the church, shows us what it means to lead, and that is to be a servant first. To be a servant leader, not to be harsh and rude. Not to exhort strength over a weaker person, but to, to serve them. And just stop, and, and as we think about this, as we think about how Jesus led the disciples when he walked the earth. As we think about his leadership as he was forming his church and calling out those to this ecclesia. As we, as we meditate on it, we must be humbled by his example. Just as the disciples was humbled by his example as, as Jesus one day got on his hands and knees and he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus washed 12 grown men' feet. Got down, got all in between the toes. And he was their rabbi. He was their leader. But he was showing them that true leadership comes from a mindset of, of self-denial. True leadership comes from a, a mindset of, of self-sacrifice. True leadership is, is birthed out of, out of self-denial. True leadership builds up, pours in. It encourages. True leadership does not bind. It frees. It frees people to be who they are in God. And Christ led in this way. And not only did he just wash disciples' feet, but he washed one of them, he, he, he washed one of their, their, their feet who, who he knew would betray them. Who he knew did not love him truly. This is the model that we must see. This is the model that we must preach and proclaim. This is the model that we must show our boys as they are being raised. That to be a husband in a household does not mean to exhort one's physical strength, but it means to set an example of leadership, of servant leadership. Remember in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, when Jesus was walking the dusty streets of Jerusalem and he's walking with his disciples and there just constantly bickering and arguing about to one another about who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom and, and who's most important to him. Remember how he responded? He talked about greatness and he talked about leadership. He says, you know that the rulers of the, that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercises authority over them. He says, it shall not be among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
God has called me as the head of my home to set an example of Christ-like leadership. He has called me, he has called you men to a a mission statement. He beckons our hearts to, to adapt this mission statement as our own mission statement in our homes. We have not come to be served but to serve. To give our lives for our wife and our family. And you know, that's not an easy attitude to adapt. Leading anyone is not an easy attitude to adapt. People ask me, how is pastoring going? I normally tell them and respond this way, especially to pastors. I said, oh, it's it's going well uh, as far as I know. But I tell you, the hardest person to pastor is myself. Leading anyone is challenging, and God has called us as men to be the head of our homes and to to lead our, our household, but we must be confident and know that God has given us the ability, he has given us the picture to which to do this by. He has not left us in the middle of an ocean with no pad and no boat. <laughs> And no life support. He has has left us with a a blueprint, with a picture, with exhortations and and words of encouragement to show us exactly how that is to to look in order that we would shock the world in Christian marriage and show the world that this thing called marriage, it was instituted by God, number one, and it can be done in a way that glorifies God, number two, when we look to his blueprint and not our own, when we look to his syllabus and not our own. In order to do this, we husbands, we must adapt a mindset, as Philippians 2 says, a a mindset of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, a mindset that calls us to to lay aside our rights, to lay aside our ego, to stop approaching life from a standpoint of, I deserve this. And it's my right to have this happen for me and to me. And rather to adapt a, a mindset that is, that is pinned in, that is pictured and focused on Christ and how Christ laid aside what he deserved for the sake of the church. We must allow the Lord to lead us. But we cannot appropriately lead our lives and our families if we aren't closely following Jesus' leadership and seeking to obey it. Brothers, when we come home for work, may we adapt an attitude that says, I have come home not to be served, but to serve. This week, as I was focusing and meditating on Christ's leadership and on the person of Christ, as always, with with every sermon, uh, my own shortcomings become evident. Pray for wisdom. I pray that the Lord will give me the strength to change my heart and to show me exactly how to do so. But as I thought about Christ and how humble he was as a rabbi, as a teacher, to get on his knees and to to wash the disciples' feet, I had an urge to text my wife and say, sweetie, can I give you a foot massage? (laughs) For I saw that that there is areas in, in my servanthood and there's areas in, in me serving my wife that, that I can definitely improve on. And one of those is not just meeting a need. It's not just doing my best to, to provide for her emotionally, spiritually, and physically, but, but one of those is, is trying to meet a need before there is a need. 
anticipating a, a burden for her. Just as Christ met a need before we recognized that there was a need. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I praise God for my, my wife. My wife is a, a true, true servant. I love her. She is all that I ask for more than I deserve. She is uh, a picture of God's grace in my life, a product of grace. When I think of God's grace, I think of her. And my wife would, is, is such a servant. Even before I met her, whoever she was around, everyone would always just, just call her a servant. I just, it would be easy for me to, to come home or, and to just, just be served because she loves serving. And she sees that I'm tired or that I'm, I'm weak. And she, she would have no problem doing it. But as I look at, at Christ's leadership, I'm reminded that I'm called to set the example of servanthood in my own home. I'm called to come home, and, and even though I may be tired, to, to maybe get a, a moment of rest. And, and I know she's had a long day as well, but not to think about me just being tired in my day, but to think about her in the ways that I can serve her now that I'm home. I was challenged in that way. In verse 26, Paul goes on to say that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. What a, a wonderful verse to meditate on. So Paul goes and he shows us that a, a loving husband loves sacrificially. He puts on the mind of Christ. He makes up his mind to not live for himself, but to live for the Lord and to live for his family. And then he goes on to say, not only does a loving husband, uh, or the husband as the head of the home, love sacrificially, but he then goes on to show something that is just unbelievably great. He goes on to show that a, a husband as the head of his home, is the, he finds joy in his wife's joy. He finds joy in his wife's joy. Look at this. Verse 26, it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Here, Paul is saying that Jesus, he set the church apart. He sanctified. To sanctify means to set apart. Okay? When you were younger and you were in lunch or you were in school and you had a bag of chips that you didn't want anyone else to touch, what would you do? You were opening and you were fake cough on it. <coughs> you were sanctifying those chips. You were setting those, those chips apart because you loved them. All right, so Christ has sanctified us. He has set us apart, not by coughing on us, but by redeeming us. But why? But why? Paul shows part of Jesus' motive in sanctifying us, and it's, it's great. He says, having washed her, he sanctified us by, by giving us the word of God. In order to present the church to himself. Jesus set the church aside in order to present the church to himself. And not only to present the church to himself, but to do so in splendor. Now, he's using this analogy as, as the church as a bride and as Christ as the bridegroom. And he's saying that one day the church will stand before the bridegroom in splendor, looking beautiful. And any bride that looks good on her wedding day has joy. Jesus, on that great day, will find joy in us having joy. 
He will find joy in us being presented to him in splendor, in holiness, as a result of his righteousness. Paul is telling us as husbands that that part of our responsibility is to find joy in our wife's joy. Theologian John Piper made a powerful statement when he said this in his book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. He said, Christ died for the church in order that he might present to himself a beautiful bride. He endured the cross for the joy of marriage that was set before him. But what is the ultimate joy of the church? Is it not to be presented as a bride to the sovereign Christ? So, so Christ sought his own joy in the joy of church. Therefore, the example of Christ sets for husbands is for us to seek our joy and the joy of our wives. God is calling me as a husband, me as a husband, when I read this, to fight for delight in my wife's joy. It's calling me as a husband to not, as the loving leader of the family, as the servant leader of the family, to, to pay attention to my wife's joy meter. To be extremely cautious to, to where my wife is and how high or how low my wife's joy is. When my wife is down and when your wife is down and she's depressed, He's, he's calling us to take it upon ourselves to minister to her. When she's depressed, her depression should be split in half because we are bearing part of the burden with her. Verse 28 reads, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So he shows us that love is sacrificial, that love is built on, a, on, on presenting our wives to ourselves with joy. He also now shows us that the way in which we love in this way is by us seeing our wives not as an individual, but as a, a part of us. It's calling husbands to see their wives as a part of their own flesh. In the same ways, husbands love, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. You know, that's what marriage is. Marriage is a picture of two people becoming one. It's what God did back in the garden with Adam and, with Adam and Eve. He put two together to become one flesh. And many of the struggles that we have in marriage is because we simply don't look to our spouse as a part of us. We see them as, a, as an individual, but we don't see them as a part of us. God has called us, in the words of Adrian Rogers, not to be a duel, but a duet. He has called us to work in harmony with one another, to love one another. And that's, that's the second greatest commandment. Remember when Jesus asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And the second is like this, like the first. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. In marriage, we get to put that into practice every single day. And it's not easy. But part of the key to a successful marriage is seeing that other person as a part of you. As a part of you. Just as Christ sees the church 
as a part of himself. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. If you've been redeemed and you've looked to the cross, you are a part of Christ. You are his body. He sees you as a part of himself, and that's why he pours himself into you. That's why the Holy Spirit takes that word and, and, and makes that word apply to your heart and is so committed to sanctifying you or making you look more like Christ because you are a part of his body. Same way in marriage. We are a part of each other's body, and the, the husband leads by saying we are one. Wayne Mack, in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage, defined marriage this way. He said marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with one another unto death. Marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with one another unto death. Verse 28, Paul says, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. He who loves himself, is, loves his wife, is actually loving himself. And he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh. And now, there's a temptation to, to make a rebuttal there. There's a temptation to say, well, there are people who hate their own flesh. There are people who cut themselves. There are people who commit suicide. Those people are hating themselves. But as we even think about a person who is mutilating themselves or seeking to kill themselves, why are they doing it? They're doing it because they have convinced themselves or they believe that in doing so, they will free themselves from misery. So even harming themselves, they think that they're really loving themselves. No one ever harms themselves unless they think some good out of it will come even if that's freedom from this present life. And of course we know if that is their mindset and that it is their, the case that there is a, a likelihood that they are trying to escape one misery only to find misery in another place. It says he nourishes and he cherishes it just as Christ does the church. A husband nourishes and cherishes his body just as Christ Love the church. The word nourish here, nourishes in Greek, it literally means to, to feed one to maturity or to develop one. We nourish ourselves to develop our bodies, to have our bodies to be healthy. And the Bible saying that as a husband, our responsibility to, to lead our wives is a, a responsibility to, to nourish her, to feed her, to help her to grow to look more like Christ. It's threefold. It's to, to nourish her emotionally. It's to nourish her physically. It's to nourish her spiritually. It's to take our family and to shepherd our family and to shepherd our wives. Husbands, you are the pastor of your family. Just as if you're a church, you and your wife and your family is a church <laughs> in some senses. And you're, you're the head pastor. And our call is to, to nourish our wives. Our, our call is to, to make the home a, 
a place of worship. A house of, of worship and an atmosphere of, of worship. Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, husbands, your responsibility is to do everything you can to, to nourish your wife, to feed her. And we can do this as we follow the, the leadership and the headships of, of Christ, as we look to his example, we, we do this by, by making sure that we are intentional to our family's growth. By sitting down and having a, a plan or a vision for our family. The prophet said, my, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. It says, without a, a vision, my people perish. So our job is to be the visionary of our home. To look at our home and our house as a whole and to pray to God. Say, Lord, help me to lead this family. Help me to have a vision of this family. Speak to me, Lord. Show me where this family is to go and what we are to do. And we can do this and, and lead our families as we walk before our families with integrity and our wives with integrity. That's part of our call. Psalm 101, verses 1 through 3. See, David saying these words, he says, I will sing of the love and, the, and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? For I walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set my, before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. It shall not cling to me. As a, as a husband, this is what I want to be able to say and how I want to be able to live the example that I want to set, the example that I want to set before my children, an example of integrity. Having integrity doesn't mean that we're going to fall short, but having integrity means that when we fall short, we, we get up. And we continue to model that before them. David made a covenant. He says, I will not set before my eyes anything worth, that is worthless. He says, listen, I'm going to be a trustworthy man. If we're going to lead our homes, we have to decide that we are going to be trustworthy men. It's a theologian by the name of Paul Tillich. You can go to the library and get wonderful writings by him. You can go on Google and get wonderful quotes by him. Powerful man uh, of, of, of knowledge, I should say. But oh, how, how sad his wife was when he passed away. And she found a, a drawer that he always locked. And she went into that drawer and she opened that drawer and she said that the next thing she saw was pictures of, of women in the, in the nude. So she read so much garbage and so many letters from, from different people. She said that it broke her heart. Spent a, a lifetime of, of writing about these things, but, but his heart was, was not there. And it's so easy as men for us to, to put on a facade of a hero but not to protect our hearts. And one of the ways that Satan seeks to keep us from leading our families is by, by keeping us in bondage to personal sin. 
by trying to guilt us and to, to tell us that we're nothing and we can't lead anyone. But we have to remind ourselves that we are new creatures in Christ and that Christ has given us the strength to, to overcome and that we are the defense for our family. We have to nourish our wives. We, we nourish her by, by modeling trust. We, we nourish her by taking time to encourage her, by taking time to, to edify her. We, we, we nourish her by, by not picking on her weaknesses or her insecurities, but by, by building her up. You know, it's a fact. When I study communications at, at Michigan State University, one of the things, one of the shocking things that I had learned there in that department was uh, that research after research shows that people do not respond positively to harsh criticism. Meaning that if you want to get a person to follow your leadership, it's not by being harsh with them and insulting them. But if you truly want them to, to follow your leadership, it's actually by, by edifying them, by encouraging them, by when you rebuke them, rebuking them with the, the purpose of, of restoring them. And as husbands, our, our job and our responsibility is to, to pour into our wives, to encourage her, to, to edify her, which means to literally to build her up, to be her spiritual forklift. We nourish the family by taking leadership in family affairs. We may not be the expert. My wife is a, a better expert in, in, in many areas. But it means that I, I'm taking an interest and I'm setting a vision. And, and as I talk to her about it, I'm praying about it. And when we come together, I'm making that, that decision for the sake of our family. Nourishing our wives and our, our family, it, it takes work, it takes planning, it takes intentionality. But it's worth it. And the reason why we take the time to do it is because of who we cherish. We cherish two people. The first that we cherish is we cherish Christ. We cherish what he has done for us. We, we cherish his grace in our lives. We, we cherish the fact that he has taken us and that he has saved us, that he has redeemed us from the penalty of death, that he has brought us back from the slave block. And what Christ has done for us leads us to, to stand at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, whatever you called me to do, that is what I'm going to do with my might. And our biggest responsibility as husbands is to, to live before the Lord, but it's also to live before our families in an exemplary way by nourishing our wife. The next thing we need to do is we need to, he says, he says we cherish them. Just as a husband nourishes himself, just as a husband feeds himself when he's, when he's hungry and gives himself something to drink when he's thirsty, just as he takes care of his body and, and his wounds and, and binds his wounds, we, we do that for our wife, but we also, we also cherish our bodies. We, we also are to cherish our wives, which means that we are to, to hold her close, to hold her dear to our hearts. Women are a lot different than men. A lot different. My wife gave me a, a great stat that this week that reminded me of, uh, of what I learned in communication. It says that the average woman uses 25,000 words a day, while the average man, the average man, uses 10,000. 
There's a big difference. And it's not always easy to cherish everything that our wives have to say. <laughs> but one of the ways that we love her is by understanding that God has made her different than us. And we look at her. We study her. Study our wives. We, 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 we study them. And we, we, we cherish them. We, we, we compliment them. We, we cherish them by living in an understanding way. By treating them with care. With tenderness. By understanding, yes, that we are wired differently. We're not as necessarily all men, and, and this is a generalization, but we're not as, as maybe as, as touchy-feely just throughout the day. And, and you know, and I love you twice a day is sufficient. We don't have to say it every time we come in and out of the kitchen and hold hands in the living room. All day, amen. We're built differently, but it's a glorious difference. It's a glorious balance. And God, he teaches us and he, he sanctifies us in marriage. Your wife is there to help you to look more like Christ. And your husband is, is, is being used as an instrument in the Redeemer's hand to make you look more like Christ. Peter says these words, likewise husbands, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. In an understanding way. The only way that you are going to live with someone in an understanding way is if you know that person. Understanding comes through knowledge. And if we are cherishing our wives, it's because we are continuing to, 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 to keep uh, 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 knowing her. We are, we are constantly seeking to, to find out things about her. We are constantly seeking and probing to see what's her thinking, what's her desires, what's her plan, what would make her happy. What ways we can serve her. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Being the head of a house when we are loving our wives, it is because we are honoring them. Why? Well, Peter gives us a great motivation. He says, so that your prayers would not be hindered. He says, when we lack to live with our wives in an understanding way, when we lack to love her and just make up our mind that we're going to do the best we can to tolerate her until the Lord calls us home, we hinder our prayers. We hinder communication and fellowship with the Lord. Calls us to cherish our wives. Turning back to Ephesians chapter 6. It's important that we make note that this is not easy. That this can be difficult. This is a challenge. Marriage is not easy. Marriage is a challenge. God takes two completely different people who have had probably different pasts. Different parenting models before them. One person likes to sleep in after the alarm clock goes off. The other person likes to jump straight up. One person likes to take their towel off and put it neatly 
in the towel rack the other person likes to throw it on the bed? One person has been conditioned all their lives to, to take their money, and when they take their money first, to, to spend the money, you know, to spend their money on themselves first before they pay the bills. The other person say, no, you pay your bills first, then you take your money out. There's two completely different models of living. God takes two sinners and he puts them in one house and he says, glorify me. And the only way that two sinners in one house is going to glorify the Lord is if they seek the Lord and if, if they understand that this is a spiritual matter and that we are in spiritual warfare. And our marriages are falling apart. And there is joylessness in marriage because Christians are going into marriage and they are living in their marriage with a carnal mind. With a mind of flesh and not the spirit. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul strategically places marriage between two bookmarks. Bookmark number one, verse 21. In fact, we're going to go to verse number 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence in Christ. The only way that there's going to be sanity in your home, the only way that there's going to be mutual submission in your home is through spirit-filled living. And walking through the spirit, in the spirit. And even if your wife is not a spiritual person, if she is not saved, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us to obey the Lord. To obey the Lord, to, to stay with her in that marriage in order that she would come to see Christ and glorify him. When one partner decides to walk in a spirit-filled way to devote and surrender their hearts and to be obedient to Christ, we allow the Lord to do something marvelous in the hearts of our partner. Spirit-filled living is the key to peace. But not. But look how he, 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 he does this in verse 10, gentlemen. The only way we're going to lead our family is if we understand that we are in spiritual warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. The only way that we're going to lead our families and glorify God and please God, the one who sent his son to die for us, is if we recognize we are in spiritual warfare and if we put on our armor daily. Just that you may not, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan wants you, gentlemen. Satan wants you, father. Satan wants you, husband. Because he knows that if I just can get him messed up, if I can just get him addicted to pornography and, and, and looking forward to seeing the pixels on that screen more than his own wife, if I can just get him to, 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 to chase after money, if I can just get him to, to wrap his life around himself, then I'm not only going to hinder him, I'm going to hinder his wife's spiritual growth. I'm going to hinder his children. I am going to possibly stop a generation from knowing the Lord. Satan has declared war on you men. 13-year-old boys, he has declared war on you. The moment that you were born, he marked you off as his. He says, I want you. 
Because if I can get you, I can get your family. If I can get your family, I can get their cousins. I can get their friends. I can get a whole generation. If I can just get them to chase and to run after worthless things, temporal things, things that please only for a moment, but that promises destruction for a lifetime. That's why he's targeting you with the media. That's why you can't watch TV without seeing somebody's leg. He wants you. He has wiles. He has schemes. He wants you to fail. Satan trembles when he sees a man of God. Satan trembles when he sees a man declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Satan trembles every time you open your Bible, every time you come through that door to worship, every Wednesday night, he trembles. He knows. Jesus said, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first blinds the strong man. Then indeed he can plunder the whole house. No one can come into my house and take my small flat screen TV unless they first get through me. I love my 32 inch TV. No one can come in and plunder what me and my wife has set up in our house and and the things that we've decorated our house with and first they come through me and that may not be enough to you but try me. And I know the same is true for you. You're the protector of your home. Nobody gonna just walk up in there and not have a fight. They done slipped and bumped their head. It's the same way spiritually. Don't let Satan walk up and down on your family's life spiritually. Take pride. Take a stand. You don't have to be a a Bible scholar. Matter of fact, you don't even have to know more than your wife. Just commit. Just commit to making sure that you all are pursuing that. Not comfortable with leading a Bible study? Just read scriptures together. Say a short prayer. That's a start. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Nehemiah building the walls of Jerusalem. Satan didn't like that. Sent some people to distract him. Nehemiah says this to the man. He says, and I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. Tells these brothers who are building with them. He says, fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Fight. Fight, gentlemen, by loving your wife more. And loving her less. Loving your wife more than anything in this world. But loving your wife less than God. Closing, John Piper wrote a poem titled Love Her More and Love Her Less. And it was written to his son, Christian Luke Piper, and he gave it to, her, to him on his wedding. Wonderful poem challenging his son to love his wife. And these are snippets of that poem to which we will conclude. It says, My son, 
a sermon poem, its theme, a double rule of love that shocks, a doctrine and a paradox. If you now aim your wife to bless, then love her more and love her less. If in the coming years, by some strange providence of God, you come to have the riches of this age and painless stride across the stage, besides your wife, be sure in health to love her. Love her more than wealth. And if your life is woven in a hundred friendships and you spin a, a festival fabric out of all your sweet affections, great and small, be sure no matter how it rends to love her, love her more than friends. And when your marriage bed is pure and there is not the slightest lure of lust for any but your wife and all is ecstasy in life and secret all of this protects, go love her, love her more than sex. And if your own should someday be the craft that critiques all agree is worthy of a great esteem and sells exceed your wildest dream. Beware the dangers of a name and love her, love her more than fame. And if to your surprise, not mine, God calls you by some strange design to risk your life for some great cause, let neither fear nor love give pause. And when you face the gate of death, then love her, love her more than your breath. Yes, love her, love her more than life. Oh, love the woman called your wife. Go love her as your earthly best. The greatest gift you give your wife is loving God above her life. And thus bid you now to bless. Go love her more by loving her less. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Your word which is active and living and sharper than any double-edged sword. Your word which causes us today as, as husbands to examine our hearts. Your word which causes us today to, to even repent. Father, as leader of this house and leader of my home, I repent. I repent, Father God, from Anything in my heart, Lord, that keeps me from, from loving my wife more and loving her less. As men, Father God, help us to repent. Help us to acknowledge and to have heartfelt sorrow for not putting on the whole arm of God, for now allowing our heads to have on the helmet of salvation. Help us to repent, Father God, and to put on the breastplate of righteousness, not our own, but yours. Help us to repent, Father God, for, and take up our, our shield of faith to be a faith-filled husband. Forgive us for not having faith when we ought. Help us to repent, Father God, for putting down our sword of the Spirit and for picking up things that are worthless. Help us to repent and to, to pick up that sword, to pick up our Bibles, and to be more dedicated to that than to anything in this world. Help us to repent, Father. By putting on the belt of truth, forgive us for lying, Father. Forgive us for not walking in truth when we should have. And, and help us to put on the truth of the gospel, for it is the power, your power, until salvation. We repent, Father God, for not having our feet 
for not having our, our, our feet clothed, Lord, in, in the gospel of peace. Help us to bring peace to our homes. Please, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.